Today we have Rick Barnett on Inside the Glass Box. Rick, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, of course. So Rick is with a company called RepLight. Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your company does and uh, the customers that you cater to? So <clears throat> RepLight is, is kind of a company that was has been born from a, a track record of about 30 years inside um, medical and medical device space. Um, we, uh, we kind of have looked at what's happening in the medical community. We, we have seen it through the past 30 years. Uh, currently, the environment is, is changing uh, probably more rapidly than we've ever seen before. And the fact that um, for the first time ever, price compression is, is uh, paramount in, in our industry. Um, we, we see that uh, not only is price compression, but access. Um, there's a lot of things that, that are different now in the world of medical and medical devices. Um, it's we're to a point where innovation um, continues to happen, but then how does that innovation make it to um, treating patients in a most effective manner? So what, what we have done is basically uh, created a contract sales and service organization uh, in the medical community. And to break that down a little further, what that would look like is, is if you're uh, anything from a startup to a Fortune 50 company that manufactures and commercializes medical devices, then RepLite um, can be an asset for your company in the fact that um, we can provide sales and service to your company on a contractual basis. That, okay, that's really interesting. You know, Rick, we talked briefly before this podcast and I mentioned to you that uh, Glassbox is really focused on helping companies raise capital. And we deal a lot with medical device businesses. And, you know, while I know you told me that, uh, and I want to get into this later, you told me that you haven't had to raise capital to date and you really don't have any plans to do so in the, in the near term. Um, you know, I do actually think that uh, your service could be very relevant to some of the people that have, have used our platform or plan to use our platform. So um, you mentioned that, what you provide is available to, or the services you provide is, are available to startups to Fortune 50 companies. So give me an example of how you might work with, you know, a, a startup type medical device company. Sure, sure, Steve. So we're contacted quite frequently by startups. If, if you think about a startup company in the medical device space, they, um, you know, and, and I'm, we're, we'll go over under the assumption that, you know, the, it's the product or products have made their way through the regulatory pathway, uh, and they're ready for commercialization. Um, <clears throat> these companies really have a couple different options. Uh, one is they can go through uh, a distribution network, which is probably, uh, the, the least expensive to the company. Um, most of the time in a distributor network, uh, you provide your products to distributors, and those distributors uh, then go out and commercialize your product. Um, from a financial aspect, that is probably the least risk that's out there because typically uh, those arrangements are those that, uh, unless a product is sold, no one is paid. Uh, and so that's, that's inexpensive for a company uh, going out there. The problem that we have in that model is that uh, a lot of the distributors that are, are uh, out there have so many products that it's hard to, it's hard to bring focus to uh, an emerging technology. Right. Um, 
and it's, it's no fault of theirs. It's, it's just, you know, you, you've only got so many products and so much time in the day. The other, the other way that, that uh, startup companies can commercialize is obviously go out and hire uh, a direct sales force. Um, that, that does away with the lack of focus. However, it's very risky in the fact that, one, financially, it's, it's, it's a heavy burden to these companies. Um, and, and two, um, you know, we, we all like to hire perfectly the first time, but we all know that that very rarely, if ever happens, uh, to about a thousand percent on candidate selection. So we actually are somewhere in the middle of that. Um, a lot of our clients tell us that we're, we're like the Uber for uh, medical devices, uh, in the fact that we, we hope to keep you efficient. We hope to do it at a price that, that is affordable and, um, you know, helps you to, to drive market adoption and share with your products. Yeah, I love the model. Um, you know, I don't, you know, despite the fact that we get approached by medical device companies uh, quite a bit with respect to, um, you know, putting together offerings, I don't personally have a whole bunch of experience in that industry, uh, but I can analogize what you're saying to the beverage industry. You know, a lot of times, um, new beverage companies try to distribute through these large distributors that have, you know, a thousand products already. And if you try to tag along with a distributor, you're just going to get lost in the mix and you, your product is never going to get sold. And uh, I could totally see the need for this uh, in your space. So tell me a little bit about like, you know, the metrics or if you can share this. I mean, how, how, how does the cost compare you know, using you guys versus hiring a sales rep directly? Well, the, the, there's, a, there's a few aspects of it. One is, and a, and a lot of our clients will do this, so this, I hope this analogy will make sense. They, they kind of use us as, you know, I, I give a baseball analogy all the time. Uh, if you take any, any major league baseball team, those teams uh, all have some sort of minor league uh, system or farm system underneath that major league team. And the thought process is there is they bring in talent, uh, they teach them the offense, the defense, the culture, and then at some point when the major league team has a expansion, has an injury, or has a trade, they go to that minor league system and pull that pull that player out and plug them in, and they're kind of plug and play. Same thing happens with us. Uh, we'll have uh, our clients will come and ask us for let's say 20 sales positions in 20 different markets, and then as the financial stability of the company grows and continues to get uh, better and better, then they will then pull those, those uh, aspiring players that are performing well up into a direct hire situation. So it's, it's, and that, that happens uh, quite frequently. It, it, it's not a requirement for us, but it does happen quite frequently in the fact that, um, you know, they're able to kind of test, test the waters before, they pull a rep on directly. And, you know, Steve, going back to the, the startup uh, side, you know, when, when these startups are looking to raise capital and, and find ways to, to fund their company, um, we've actually been asked to go in front of, in front of their investment community uh, to explain our model because, quite frankly, if you're going to invest into a technology, uh, you really you'd like to have a sense as to how they're going to commercialize it, and we can give them a, a real sense of comfort as to as to how we move that forward. <laughs> right, that's very interesting. Um, 
So you talked, you know, you I, I, I keyed in on something that you mentioned early in our conversation here. You talked a little bit about price compression in this industry. Tell me about that because I, I wasn't aware that price compression is occurring. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think we're all trying to figure out how to, uh, and this is all of us in the space, but we're trying to, to maintain uh, the excellent patient care that's delivered here in the U.S. I mean, we, we all have, have benefited and will continue to benefit from amazing uh, health care here in our space. Uh, but more and more, that health care is, is being looked at, and it, I think it's, it's a responsibility of all of ours to respond. So, in other words, you know, if you just take any sector, um, you, you know, you pick any of them and they're all going through this, you know, if a product historically, let's say, was, you know, $7,000, uh, then now they're looking at that product and going, well, we need that product to come into, to come into this space for $4,000. Because as you look at payers and, and, and what the insurance companies are trying to do, you know, everyone's trying to maintain this level of care, but they're also trying to do it, you know, faster, less expensive, all those things than, than we've done in the past. So, we just believe we're kind of in the middle of this perfect storm where, you know, companies are, are being asked to reduce prices um, and they're asked to continue to provide the service. So how can we help those companies to commercialize their products, service their products, get the products out into the market, and at the same time respond to the, the, the pricing challenges that they're faced with to maintain profitability? Now, you mentioned that the companies are being asked to reduce the price of their product. Is that by insurance carriers or who is asking them to reduce the price? The user, excuse me, the users. Oh. So, you know, because a, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening now, right? There's bundle, pay, there's bundle payments, there's that sort of thing. So if you take, you know, a total knee replacement, uh, now, you know, uh, insurance carriers are, are telling, you know, the hospitals or, or the, the uh, you know, the, the end user, hey, you know, we need this knee replacement total and all the care of that knee replacement, we need that to be X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. So then the hospital has to figure out, you know, how, how can I get this to be profitable and a great patient outcome for less money, right? So it's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the way it happens. I mean, everyone's driving to a, a less expensive procedure, but yet maintain the quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, I don't have too much firsthand knowledge in this space. But you know, the outsider's perception is that these the cost of medical devices is just outrageous. You know, when you hear, you know, like what a knee replacement costs or what some sort of, you know, uh, device that, you know, for anything for therapy or you know surgery, whatever, it, it's uh, it's it's astronomical sometimes when the layman looks at the numbers. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, you know, that there's some, there's some media attention that, that, you know, does that when we see these, you know, crazy reports of a, you know, aspirin in a hospital costing, you know, whatever. I, I don't know that that's, uh, you know, I, I can't speak whether that's true or not, but what I do know is, is that I think all of us have a responsibility, uh, you know, to provide, again, I keep saying it cause I think it's paramount. It's our responsibility to provide, you know, patient care, uh, you know, for for uh, all, all of the patients for, uh, a, 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 you know, a reasonable amount of money. So, 
you know, it's, it, we, we hope that, and our thought is, is that we don't want the innovation and the technology to, um, you know, go away. It's, it's, complete, it's, it's very needed and very important. So uh, how, can we, how can we change our model to, and maybe some people call us disruptive, but how, how can we help the disruption to not uh, take apart our healthcare system? Right. So tell me a little bit about what you see as the biggest challenges for new medical device companies that are trying to bring a product to market. Uh, well, I, I think from a commercialization standpoint, um, you know, finding the right avenues is probably the most difficult, uh, whether it be a direct sales force, whether it be distribution, whether it be a strategic partnerships or alignments, uh, or allegiances. Uh, I think the, that when, when companies are trying to, you know, a lot of companies, uh, I talk with have phenomenal devices that have phenomenal technologies that, that really should be wildly beneficial to the patient, but they're, they're just kind of stuck because, um, you know, getting, getting, um, the healthcare providers to be able to see, to touch, to understand what this technology or innovation can do is a pretty daunting task. And we, we try to come in and help with that. Uh, we have employees from San Diego to Maine and everywhere in between. And a, a lot of times what a smaller company will do is, is they'll start uh, with us and they say, hey, you know, we want to go in these 10 markets or five markets and we want to put, uh, you know, RepLite reps in there. We're going to then use distribution in other markets and as soon as we start, you know, the revenue starts to really uh, increase, then we go more and more direct as we go. So it's a way for them to kind of ease into the commercialization uh, rather than just jumping in the pool head first. Got it. Got it. Um, <clears throat> now, as I want to go back to something that you and I, again, we spoke just briefly before the podcast, but a, a few interesting things came up just in that very brief conversation. You mentioned that you were able to start your company and get to the point you're at today without taking in any outside capital. And you don't plan to take on any capital going forward either. How were you able to do that? Well, I'm assuming that you obviously had some experience uh, in this medical device space already when you got started. But tell, tell me a little bit about the process of getting your company started without taking in outside capital. Yeah, and, and I should also say from our earlier conversation, be clear, I, I, don't, I don't want to give the impression to your listeners that, that we will never take on capital. Um, you know, it's, it's all about growth and scale. Uh, you know, we, we do realize the fact that if, if and when uh, we desire to, to really, um, you know, have explosive growth, that may require some capital. So I wanted to throw that out there. Uh, yeah, so, so if you look back, at me historically, uh, I'd been in this space, uh, kind of either building building rep teams uh, for about 25 years prior to starting uh, Rep Life, and so you know over over those 25 years, you know probably done 5,000 interviews, probably hired in excess of 3,000 people. So it just it was natural for for us to be able to go into that arena, and and historically what I did is I did it for one company at a time. So I would be an actual employee of that company and I would build out either a sales team or a junior sales team um, for that company. And what we realized is, is that although our key performance indicators were great with those companies and we did, you know, we had amazing results, 
why wouldn't we open this up to all different types of companies? So that's when we decided to create RepLight about seven years ago. And instead of working for one company in particular, we'd work with many. So because I've been in the space for so long, I had a, have a lot of great contacts and a lot of, uh, you know, really talented leaders that, that I've worked with and beside uh, for years. And so uh, we really started our business by those relationships. Uh, they, they knew what we had done in the past and they, they knew of uh, our track record of being successful. So it was pretty easy to, to start grabbing customers and we continue to, to do that with the folks that, that we serve today. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, you're in a service oriented business. So I, I suppose, you know, having the relationships and the network you had when you got started enabled you to, to get going with a very limited burn rate. Um, and you probably, uh, yeah, it probably made sense, you know, not to take on capital in, uh, in that scenario. Um, you know, it's, it's also interesting, I think for our listeners to hear your story because, you know, a lot of people think they have a window early in their career to go out and, and start a new business. And, uh, as they get later into their career, you know, they perceive the risk as being greater. Um, but I actually view that in kind of the opposite way. Um, I think, and you're a good example of this. I mean, I think as you build relationships, as you build industry knowledge, you know, the risk of, of going out on your own into that same space, uh, it becomes less. Um, and, uh, I, I, did you, did you always know that you were going to start your own company or, or did this, uh, idea come to you later on in your career? Well, it's, it's a great question. And, and I will tell you that, uh, I have never been in a traditional role, uh, ever in my career. Um, you know, I was always brought in into a role that was actually created. So, um, you, you know, that that kind of leads a person, uh, you know, obviously with me, you know, it wasn't like I, I would take a job with a company that, that, you know, I was, there was a predecessor that I was coming in to try to, you know, fill in the, 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 the gap. It was always, hey, Rick, come and build this. Uh, and so I would go and build it. And so, for me, being an entrepreneur was, uh, you know, was just it, it was natural for me. So uh, yeah, I mean, you I, were you were already uh, acting in that capacity, really. Yeah, that's, that's correct. And and you know, Steve, I'll tell you, um, you know, I, I had the the privilege of working with you know some of the largest and most successful medical device companies, and you know, I think what really helped us early on was, uh, you know, we had had success with these large companies like, you know, Stryker, I spent a, a number of years with Stryker, um, which is a huge medical device company. I then went to Intuitive Surgical, um, you know, spent time there doing the same thing. So that, that afforded me the ability to, to kind of understand uh, what it would be like to, to launch a company on my own. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Do you feel like there's a sweet spot as far as the size you want to be and the number of clients you want to take on, or are you able to incrementally grow every year and provide the same? And that's what we've done. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we've done. Just so you know, uh, we've got a little bit of churn with our business because, uh, as I told you earlier, uh, we'll do an engagement where, you know, after, so going back a little bit. So what we'll do is typically our clients and, and, uh, we engage in a, in a 36 month agreement, but after one year, they're able to to take those those uh, 
contractors directly. So there's a considerable amount of churn that happens because we're we're really blessed to have uh, our clients take our people. That means that we're putting good people in and they're they're being successful. Mm-hmm. But it does it it does you know have a fluctuation into our headcount. So um, you know we have grown uh, every year since we started seven years ago, and we continue to grow. Um, I think at some point, maybe as I mentioned earlier, if we ever want to really grow and scale, uh, it, it would probably mean that that we would you know I think you get to an inflection point there where uh, you can grow incrementally year after year, but then there's a time when you say, "Well, I really want to, you know, I really want to blow this thing up," and, and I think that that probably would require us to take on some capital. Sure, sure. Have you looked at that in the past or thought thought about what that would require? You know, I, it's um, it's it's funny. You know, we're we're contacted, um, you know, several times each quarter uh, from folks who have an interest and. Uh, we always, you know, listen to at least the, the the front side of it, but at this point, we we just haven't we haven't acted on it yet. Uh, yeah, you know, we've been we've been really busy, and and uh, we we just haven't moved on it. I mean, I think, you know, when you when you when you're a disruptor, there's a certain level of interest uh, from uh, you know the capital community and the investment community, um, and and again, I don't think. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's it's somewhat flattering that we have people call and, and want to talk to us about uh, investing in, in our business. Uh, we we just not been there yet. Not to say we won't get there. Yeah, I can see. I can definitely see why investors would be interested. I mean, uh, you know, the medical device community is hot in general, and you know, you kind of you know somebody who invests in your business would potentially get exposure across uh, all different types of devices and, and different types of companies backing those devices or producing those devices. Um, That's correct. Yeah. So, you, you know, you talked about being a disruptor. Do you, so you view, do you view your model as somewhat disruptive in the device space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, there's traditionally there's been, you know, there's been, uh, you buy a car or you get in a taxi, right? That's that's the the kind of the two ways that that yeah. you you got around before. And and now we're saying, well, you don't have to get in a taxi and you don't have to buy a car. You can come to Rep Light and we can help you commercialize or support your products. Um, so you know some of some of the objections that we hear from time to time is, uh, well, you know we've got a we've got a pretty specific uh, type person we're looking for. Um, what do we do about that? Well, we every client is different, and we take this the the job or the, the the position specifications directly from our client. We also try to learn the culture of that particular client so that we can replicate uh, that culture with the talent that we're bringing to them. Uh, so so yeah, I mean it's you know the other thing that we hear is well, you know we we hire people now and we have. 100% control. If we let Rep Light do it, how is that going to happen? Well, we we avoid that that uh, objection simply by you still have 100% control. Um, the, you, you know these employees look and act just like they're your employee. They they just come with less risk. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's one of those things, Steve. That uh, it's not been done in the past. There's there's been contractual companies, but very few of the companies that have done this in the past actually try to create a pathway for these employees to migrate over to a direct hire. Now, when you came up with this idea 
I'm assuming you were the first company to do this. Is that, is that correct? I, I, I think so. I mean, there, there's some that, it, you know, it's hard to say that because there's, there's recruiters, obviously there's a ton of recruiters and then there's, there's staffing agencies and we're, we're, we're somewhere in the middle of that. So we're, yeah. we're funny. a little it's bit of a unicorn there. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking at first. I'm like, well, you know, somebody might categorize your company as, as a staffing agency, because especially when you said that the client ends up taking on a lot of these, uh, these reps directly, you know, after the first year. But it certainly is more than that when you start talking about or somebody learns that it's more than just the staffing service you're providing. When you start talking about, you know, getting to know the company more intimately and, you know, designing a program that suits that company specifically, because um, you're using your enterprise knowledge uh, really to help help your clients at that point, as opposed to just throwing some candidate into the mix that has the right skill set, you know? Yeah. So for us, uh, there, there's, there's probably one set of, I call it three legs of the stool that we don't uh, have any variance on. Uh, we look uh, first and foremost for integrity. Second, we look for energy and third, we look for intelligence. And, and so when, once we find uh, talented folks that have those three things, then uh, we're a firm believer in talent over experience. Uh, so if we have those three things and we, 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 you know, get down to the point where we know that this person's talented, they have the three legs of the stool. Then what's, I think what's the most important thing after that is to, is to learn what, what the culture and, and the, the beliefs of the company in which we're, uh, engaging with are, because it's, it's really difficult to put, uh, talent into an organization and, and not mirror what's being successful or how has been successful or the way that they would like to approach the market. So we're very keen on those things when we, when we engage with a client. Yeah. Which is probably a little bit different. Your approach is probably a little bit different in, in regard to how you recruit your reps um, as, as compared to a traditional staffing agency, right? It is. Yeah, there, there's a little more to it than, than you know, thought, you know, and again, I'm not certainly don't want to be condescending to, to either recruiters and or staff agents. They both play a huge role. Uh, we, again, I, I know it sounds re really repetitive, but we're we're just we're a little different um, yeah. in the fact that uh, we, we have a strong belief that that if you if you have those if you have those things that I mentioned earlier, if you you know, if you have the integrity, the energy and the intelligence and then your your overall sense matches up with with the 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 strategic uh, directives of the company, then we've got a better chance of success long term. Yeah, so it's not only you know the more I think about it, it's not only the way in which you recruit and, and I'm sure train, but it's also um, the fact that you're managing these reps and and working intimately with the company as an organization. Um, for that, at least that first year, right? As opposed well, to turning over the candidate to the end user, right? Yeah. Well, so the, 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 we we do, uh, you know, do, let's talk about that first year. You know, we interact with our our folks quite frequently, um, and it really depends on the company uh, as to how much involvement we have. We have certain certain clients that once we put them in, then 
you know, obviously we're managing their, their human resources component with, you know, their, their pay and their benefits and all that. And then the, the company, you know, other than that really has them on their, you know, on their team. Uh, some smaller companies we actually uh, engage with that, that they need some help from a management uh, standpoint with these folks. So, so we, our, our reach into our involvement with our folks varies from company to company and, and their, you know, their desires. Got it. Got it. So one of the things I was going to ask you a second ago is, you know, if this is a fairly novel approach, you must have seen a market need for it. Am I right? As you were working with these other companies, you, you saw a need for an outside sales support like what you're providing now? Right. So if you look at, and, and every company is going to have something different, right? If you look at, um, a rep, let's say that, you know, we're at whatever city, pick a city, we're in Atlanta. So if, if a medical device company loses a rep through, you know, that rep quits, that rep gets promoted, whatever, there's, there's an extreme price tag to having an open position. Uh, you know, loss of competitive threats, loss of revenue, you know, all of those things happen when you lose a rep. For us, when, when we're given a position, the way we make money is to fill that position and put get a person in there. So we're we're very determined when a company calls us and gives us positions that we get those filled as quickly as possible, not only for our benefit, but for our clients' benefit so that, that there's a stop loss. I'll give you an example too, Steve. Uh, every company out there experiences attrition. It, there's some good attrition, there's some bad attrition. Right. Whether it's good or bad, all of it is costly to a company. Um, we typically will take a company, we'll look at their attrition rate, and we'll, we'll metric that out to what that attrition rate annually costs them. And typically, we can slash that attrition cost by 50% day one. Wow. Uh, which, is, which, is a big, which is a big benefit to our clients. Why are you slashing that attrition rate so dramatically? So if you think about, you know, Let's use some round numbers here. Let's say if you have 500 people out in the field and you're, you're going, you have a burn rate or an attrition rate of 14 to 17%, which isn't horrible, but it's, it's kind of standard, then you know, you're losing somewhere between 50 and 70 people a, a year. If you think about uh, time spent on uh, talent acquisition, time spent on management involvement in the field to try to source, recruit, interview, uh, all of, uh, if you look at lost revenue, uh, burnout from uh, peripheral reps, all of those things have a number assigned to them. Given that same situation, if you come to us and say, look, we have 500 people, we're losing 14 to 17% a year. Now it's rep likes problem. Well, so that tells us is if we, if we got that scenario going on, then we need to continually be interviewing to backfill that attrition rate within days and weeks not months got it got it okay okay so you're creating a proactive plan basically absolutely yeah, yeah we never stop interviewing we're we're interview whether whether we're interviewing for a uh, a position that uh we've got a request for or not we we never stop interviewing yeah i you know i think that's you know regardless of uh whether somebody's in the medical device industry or not that's actually a really valuable lesson 
to, to take away from this because I, I see that with a lot of successful companies, you know, they, they realize that they've got a heavy attrition rate for whatever reason in their industry. And uh, they established kind of an ongoing hiring process, whether or not they actually have gaps on their roster, you know, uh, they, they're always in a hiring mode. And I think that um, in some industries, that's, that's just necessary to remain competitive. And like you said, there's so many calamities that can happen when you lose a really key rep or a key employee of any sort. So, um, you know, it's a, yeah. And I, I think, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it, it, you know, I, I hate to keep using the analogy, but it's, it's almost like baseball, right? I mean, if you think about major league baseball, um, you know, every one of these professional teams, they have these, these, you know, minor league organizations underneath them that fell into them. And I don't think, at least in our space, we've never done that before, right? We've never had that bench there that 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 we can plug and play into a into a position. Yeah. Um, you know, and you may think, well, that's that's an expensive venture, but if you compare having that bench compared to the loss of of losing a rep and not filling it for a couple months, it, it becomes it becomes pretty evident that a bench is far less expensive. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, people don't really quantify the costs of, of, you know, the costs that are going to be incurred when they lose a key person. And, you know, if they look at it that way, like you're mentioning now, um, that bench is not nearly as expensive. Um, right. Yeah. So, so, t so tell me, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, in the future you might consider taking on some capital. Now that would be if you scaled dramatically. Now, where I mean, I don't know what you can share about your company and where you're at now as far as you know the number of clients you're working with or the number of reps you're you're deploying, but you know I guess percentage wise you know what kind of growth would would you be looking at uh you know in terms of you know it, what 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 goal would necessitate you to have to raise capital? Would you have to grow a hundred percent would you have to grow a thousand percent from where you're at? No, I, I think we'd probably be in the need for capital if we, you know, given where we are right now, if we try to do something in the, you know, 200 to 300% growth, uh, we'd probably need to take on some capital. Uh, we could probably, we could, we could most likely handle it uh, between, you know, uh, you know, zero and 150, probably on our own with no additional capital. Uh, but I think once you get to that, you're you're kind of at a tipping point where there's some resources that you've got really got to put in place uh, to to continue a growth pattern stronger than that. Using the incremental approach that you've applied to date, what would you say your annual growth rate has been since inception? About twenty five percent year over year. Oh, that's tremendous! That's tremendous. And you're, you're in a people business, so it's really hard. You know, when you're selling widgets, I think uh, it's, it's much easier to grow 200, 300% in a short window of time. But when you're recruiting and deploying people, and that's really your product, uh, I think it's much harder to grow at those rates, regardless of the capital. <laughs> it is. I agree with you. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, so I can see, I can see where you're coming from on, you know, not really being not, you, you know, you're not itching to, uh, 
you know, take advantage of those guys knocking on your door right now. Um, so how do you like, how, how do you go about, you know, I'll finish up with this. How do you go about recruiting new clients or going and getting new clients? Um, are you, are you just kind of known in the industry now and, and people call you up and say, Hey, you know, we need outside marketing services. And you know, if you're, you're just kind of the go-to guy for that or outside, you know, sales services, or are you, are you aggressively marketing yourself? Great question. So realistically up until now, uh, or at least the first six years, we really went off, uh, my Rolodex of, of people that I've worked with in the past, in the past year, we, we've started uh, doing a lot more marketing. Uh, and, and we made that decision simply because, you know, at some point you're going to run out of your Rolodex, but more importantly is we started getting, uh, inquiries from, from people that we didn't know. And we thought that, you know, if we're going to continue to, to have that 25% growth year over year, that we would have to do some organic, organic growth. And so we, we employed some marketing support. Uh, and so now we're, we're out. You know, we, you see us on LinkedIn, you see us on Facebook. Um, and, you know, we're, so, so yeah, so now we're starting to market. Uh, and we, we, we're very fortunate to have, you know, some really good results and some really good clients, either former or current, that are seeing the, the positive results. So we, we utilize that and, and that's how clients find us. They find us, you know, through LinkedIn, through word of mouth, um, through our, our website, obviously. Uh, and so we're, we're taking on new clients every day. Got it. Got it. Well, I think, like I said earlier in the podcast, I think you could be a valuable resource for some people on our platform. So I'm excited to share this interview with them. And, um, you know, perhaps, uh, we do, we do throw events from time to time, um, for primarily for companies looking to raise capital, but also, um, oftentimes with a digital marketing theme. So, you know, companies that attend are able to learn about new trends in, in digital marketing. So who knows, there may be a time in the future where, uh, you know, we're, we're having an event and uh, it might make sense for you to attend. So would love to stay in touch. Absolutely. Well, Steve, again, I thank you for, for having me on today. And, and again, if, if we can help you or, or any of your, 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 uh, constituents out there please let us know we're we uh we, we're here to help and to serve uh both our clients and, and our team members terrific rick well thank you again and uh look forward to catching up again soon thanks sir